Hello to our various attractive and otherwise fans. We are back after a brief intermittent delay because the universe can really catch up with you. Yeah. And not yeah. not always in the, uh, let's say, most pleasant ways possible. No, I, um, I don't really have a clever way of talking about this, I guess. That's okay, we can do a straight attack. I think I've given us enough protective layers of irony for 20 years. Probably. And this is one of those times where I actually kind of wish that I had written it down, but let's see how I do off the cuff. I think for the last year, for you know a number of people, you know, what we are facing, you know, what we are going through has been a horrifying inconvenience. Sometimes a terrifying one as well. And many of us have been lucky enough not to have, um, not to experience the true horror. Um, and, you know, more, more than just the inconvenience, Mm -hmm. um, of all of this, of the, uh, of the world kind of being turned upside down for this long in such a way that, you know, you almost got used to it being upside down. I found myself surprised, let's say, at how different it all felt when, um, when I lost someone to, uh, to COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one's getting names this episode. Um, just, People can find my name if they want. I mean, I say it every week, um, and they'd be able to probably, you know, even that I'm talking about this, they they would probably be able to. But you know, out of respect for you know the privacy of um, you know the, their family and uh, friends, et cetera, et cetera, I'm gonna keep this one anonymous. Um, one of my friends and uh, colleagues uh, passed away last week of COVID, and. It was the damnedest thing because uh, I, I, you know, I've lost one or two people in my life before. Mm-hmm. Uh, no one is close, uh, and the two of us had actually not even talked in a good long time, just because of all of this, you know, um, uh, among other things. But even even so, you know, like we uh, we've been pretty chummy, um, you know. Mm-hmm. In a time before, and whenever I've lost someone in my life, the first thing that happens to me is shock. Uh, never tears, uh, really. Never sadness or anything like that. Just this sort of weird feeling like none of this is real usually because the people who i have lost up to now um i've never been too particularly close with um my my grandfather by the way uh for example the two of us had spent maybe about a hundred or so hours in one another's presence you know if you add it all up over you know over you know a period of um 25 years or so uh, so when when he passed away, and he was not the healthiest of guys, everyone you may call a past anecdote about that. Everyone had been uh, had been seeing it coming, right? And uh, everyone had been seeing it coming, and everyone had kind of pre dealt with it, including including my. No, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna act like my dad didn't care, but you know he had. Uh, <laughs> it was something he was ready for. But because the two of us had never really known one another, my last uh, conversation with him, he was so amazingly in the depths of dementia that he like barely was able to say a word, and I don't even know that he knew that I was talking to him. You know, I was shocked, and then after I was shocked, it was just sort of a, huh. This time was different. This time, after the shock wore off, I got real fucking angry about just how fucking unfair it was. You know, I would just uh, be thinking about how he deserved better. He did. So, because I felt so 
angry and confused and like I didn't know what to do. Um, and finally feeling that um, thing that people were talking about. Uh, this one thing that people mentioned where it just seems so fucking insane that the world keeps going. Uh, that all of these thousands of millions of things that make up a person that all um, started in one place in time or another uh, and run concurrently, that they all just end all at the same time. And it feels unreal. Um, impossible, even. To help myself process that, I decided that it was time to return to basically the best fictional property about grief uh, that I can think of, um, anime or otherwise, which is, um, of course, 2011's uh, Anohana, The Flower We Saw That Day. Uh, and it actually, um, timing on this is... I'm not going to say good, uh, but by coincidence, let's say, I uh, guess this could... is the 10th anniversary of Anohana's airing. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 20, uh, 2021 is. Uh, it actually uh, aired from March to July. So we are uh, we were about where, um, about two or three episodes in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, everything you were talking about was very... Uh real and resonant and before i launch into um whatever cascade of praise or criticisms or jokes that are in my back pocket mm -hmm. in terms of today's topic i would like to just dedicate this moment the person was bigger than this episode of this podcast but at least this moment in the uh universe we walk through to your fallen friend here, and I will, for a second, do something I don't do often, which is stop talking. <laughs> well, no, it might actually be a good time uh, to start talking, because, again, this uh, this episode is a little bit off the dome. A little bit off the dome. Fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. As you can so see, I did a... not I did not come in here with an episode outline. <laughs> um, usually... I want to say about 70% of the time when we do this, I will have an outline or notes or something um, present. Oh, yeah, that's a bit of an inside baseball for you guys. Yeah, um, Sam normally has a very effective outline of important points to hit so that we are not just jabbering about the color of someone's shoes the entire time or doing some CinemaSins nonsense. It's really sort of a sign of desperation, but all that aside... Anohana. So, we're coming at this from two different angles. This is part of Sam's just media foundation, like, you know, everyone has their sort of constellations and what action is, what drama is, etc. Yeah, I think if someone were to, if someone were to ask, like, what five shows do I need to watch in order to understand you, like, this would easily make that top five, or would make, would make that five. And for a point of... Comp I think Kim Possible would also be on there. That's a phone. I really enjoy that coming up. And for a, a point of contrast or comparison, I saw Anohana, drumroll, yesterday. <laughs> so oh, yeah. you finished it. I finished yeah. it yesterday, yeah. So what's interesting about coming to this is sometimes you can tell a little bit about uh, something sort of footprint in the media landscape mm -hmm. by uh, its detractors and their quality. Where I'm going with this is there was a post upon the... Uh, insane hell pit of twitter where one of the trash taste guys said like send us your worst takes and we'll react to them mm -hmm. a, a la, i guess that's a gimmick sort of ripped from anthony fantano but i don't know <laughs> we're all running out of shit as things drag on so i was sifting through these because you know i'm i'm interested to see what people you know what interior beliefs people think are you know going against the grain or revolutionary or whatever yeah and one guy's thing was, and this is before we had finished Anohana, actually, was, I think that Anohana is a melodramatic, over-the-top, problematic piece of overhyped trash. And I remember this person had a sword art online avatar. <laughs> and all I could think was, oh, I should watch Anohana. It's going to be some good shit. <laughs> 
So this is me coming into uh, Anohana is my uh, point here. And it lived up. It's very weird. I never actually caught much of the evidently extant hype or appreciation for this show. It's like got a whole bunch of underground appreciation. It's a lot of, um, you know how like your average moviegoer is not really going to know who like Peter Bogdanovich is, uh, but the second you graduate from moviegoer to movie enthusiast, you start to know these things. Uh, so it's in that tier of uh, overall recognition? I would say so, yeah. When you get to that tier of recognition, there are things that will live up to it for you and things that won't. And despite how much I slow rolled that, I actually did like this one. I suppose that before I go further, I should just lay out more of what this thing is. So like Sam said, it came out around 2011, in 2011, not around 2011, again, 10th anniversary. <laughs> are you in... It's like you're in court and you're trying to be vague. Yeah. <laughs> it was an A1 production. And as I, as I said, it is a drama predominantly concerned with grieving. Only it takes an interesting tack. It's, uh, oh, fun fact. Um, A1 was uh, later did Erased. And Erased is how I learned about the word cuck. <laughs> that was the first time I heard it used. That's... Like I know what I knew what cuckold meant, but I had never I had never heard it shortened. Never heard the uh, you know the pistol whipping version of the word, the four letter salute, as one might say. So yeah, it's about grooving. What takes an interesting tack in that it is a ghost story that sort of just runs on the presumption that the viewer just sort of has a baseline understanding of how the average poltergeist works. Yeah, it doesn't really have any interest in explaining um, the mechanics of ghosts to you, um, or even the the mechanics of how ghosts in this work, because that's not really what it's there for. It is, uh, it is not a fantasy story. It's not even really a supernatural story. Not, not it, it has, you know, Not elements. in the sense one would typically deploy the word at least i could make an argument this is more of a bse not bse but this is more of a sort of relevant english class thing that maybe it just shows that there are smarter ways to deploy supernatural structures than we usually do oh yeah yeah like i would say that this is probably just a supernatural story with smart good preoccupations instead of the usual uh yes there's um (laughs) throughout this because this is where your head goes mm-hmm. when when you when you watch media, you have this idea that after the second episode or so, <laughs> oh god, this shit. the ghost girl was going to start giving was going to start giving the uh, the hero <laughs> missions oh, yeah, to I'm gonna... fight other ghosts. I've detected another soldier of the demon king. <laughs> Hindsight being twenty twenty, I think there's a reason I also had that specific vision of a way this could get shittier, which is in terms of weird timing. By the way, you can tell by context the person who died is a young is a young girl. It's about five years later we pick up with the characters. Five years, yeah. yeah. Uh, the um, I, I think the way that I understand it is that um, oh, premise wise or premise too, we mm-hmm. should probably cover that, right? We'll get there, but let me just get this point. So sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, this young girl dies in this, in this TV show. Very tragic. I had read, because I still have from my fucking review blitzes, and I just came up with the scene, like the Shonen Jump subscription. Mm-hmm. So I just read all of that stuff, mostly not great, that they put out each week. Mm-hmm. And Jujutsu Kaisen had sort of a 10-issue prequel kind of thing, where the concept was, I'm not accusing them of ripping it off, I'm saying they, they took the same premise, went somewhere way dumber with it, <laughs> but... A young girl dies with this new protagonist of this prequel series, and she becomes this young boy's punch ghost <laughs> and helps him solve edgy crimes. And I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> is this. What's it like having the emotional depth of a fucking urinal? Let her rest! <laughs> Jesus Christ! What the fuck is wrong? So yeah, it was really funny to read that. And you know, I just sort of like flicking Jujutsu Kaisen in the forehead every now and then because of whatever countercultural impulse I have. Or given its aesthetic, I guess, counter-counter-cultural, whatever. I'm a double hipster. The point, going into the premise here. Mm-hmm. The show 
has a great thing in that I think when I watch most things that are about some kind of tragedy or grieving, I have a tendency to zone out a little bit because the sort of limit of mortal writing is that I think unless you have a pretty strong metacognition, your take on grieving will be somewhat singular one note, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what I actually really liked about this is that it essentially refracts itself through sort of five approaches. Okay, seven, eight, but whatever. A lot. A bunch of approaches to grief filtered through different personality types. That's and... what I fucking love about this. Is yeah. uh, And I, I actually wanted to get to that very point, is that Anohana is this show that recognizes that grief is different in every person, uh, and sort of how one responds to tragedy is never going to be the same from one, from one person to another. And that... Uh, that can do things to um, to people's relationships with one another when they are both grieving over the same thing, uh, over the same person. Uh, the you know the the, the premise of the show and this show is breathtaking in um, how much it does with such an immensely simple premise uh, is that five years ago uh, when they were all. Nine or ten. Uh, a group of friends mm-hmm. lost one of their own in an accident that's never shown. Uh, never even um, we're never even told what it was, although it is uh, strongly implied every now and again. Um, What's that thing they say? Attentive readers will notice. Attentive readers will notice. Yeah. Uh, and then five years later, all of them have uh, drifted apart, and kind of um, none of them are exaggeratedly um what would i call it exaggeratedly worse off i guess not worse off is not the word none none of them are exaggeratedly fucked up i suppose it does not i always talk about walking over the line or falling off the tree or tumbling off the balance beam and i think it's particularly apt in this show that i Mostly because I can really easily imagine a worse version of, say, the character who... Okay, spoiler town here. Like, the character who ends up picking up the the mouth cross-dressing thing. Yeah. Or, or the character who sort of becomes a... He's, he's been a shut-in for about three months. This is one of those shows I can very easily imagine a shittier version of. Mm. And... It has a good eye... For it has a good eye for its characters, though, and oh wait, we we forgot to mention the very important part, yo, which is that uh, five years after her death, the uh, the girl, the member of this friend group who died, uh, comes back all of a sudden as a ghost. Doesn't actually even remember, you know, anything that happened up to them, um, mm-hmm. or know exactly why she's there, other than probably to finish some unfinished business, as ghosts need to do. Oh, yeah, and in terms of, um, you know, ambiguity, plumment of figuring out what's going on, so she has no idea why she's back, the mechanics of this place, neither day, and, um... Oh, I also kind of liked the sort of spread of immediate priority when faced with the idea of this ghost thing as a legitimately existing thing among the characters, but that's that's not as important as the grief thing, which is the actual intellectual heart of the thing, mm-hmm. but I'm a fucking nerd, so that's kind of interesting what to me. What added texture? Yeah, it, added, it added some really nice texture, and you know, you don't necessarily notice its presence, but you'd notice its absence. And like, I enjoyed how the sort of friend with a simple sort of follower mindset just bought it immediately. There was the sort of hard-edged guy who had the very understandable "my ass, my fucking ass" reaction, and you know, not too, you know, not coincidentally, was the one who had always kind of resented the protagonist, mm-hmm. even back when they were friends. I really appreciated... They didn't draw it out because you can't without ruining the tone of the thing. Mm-hmm. But I wanted a second of it, and they did, where just two of the girls had a the dead walk amongst us <laughs> kind of reaction. And I think that's something that would happen. No. But, uh... Sidebars aside mm-hmm. as they... Sidebars aside as they say, um... Let's go over some of these individual reactions, I guess, to the grieving setup so we have our main pov man jenta who 
we don't really um, get to know much of how he's been over the last couple of years, but it's sort of implied that he's just been kind of getting worse. Uh, he's not dealt with it. He's been sort of avoiding dealing with it, and uh, it has let him become very misanthropic. And three months or so prior to the beginning of the show, he just stopped attending school. He couldn't fucking deal being around people. Uh, and his immensely understanding dad is like, okay, do what you gotta do. It's interesting, because in the range of choices you could have made, he could have been a shut-in ever since that day. And, you know, my eyes slowly roll to the back of my skull, and I start <laughs> looking up gifts of people doing flips and basilisks. Like, like, that's the thing, is that, it, yeah, it could have happened. You know, you, you could have, you know, a you know, an apologist be like, I'm, like, they're... There are people out there. It's like, yes, I know. It's but there are choices you make in drama. There are that choices you make. Certain... Like it does register to you know your average viewer as immensely over the top were you to do that. And it's interesting how nothing is ever made to be too over the top in this show. And that's the thing. And more important than well, not more important, but another thing that works is that it kind of adds to this character idea that this has been sort of building up inside of him mm-hmm. this whole time. Just his, um, his inability to grieve. His inability to grieve, Because yeah, he and... just hasn't done it. He hasn't done it at all. None of them have, really. Uh, none of, none of these, uh, none of these, there's five of them now. These five friends have been able to grieve. Uh, and yeah, everyone been... sort of freezes in... A stage. I mean, literal classical stage. So maybe you could break down that chart. Some writers approach it that way. I haven't thought it through that way, so I'm not gonna introduce that idea. Mm-hmm. But everyone is definitely frozen in a moment, in a station that you might stop at in a healthy grieving pattern. But they have not gone to that green hill zone beyond it. No, no. They all have found like uh, various different coping mechanisms that are ultimately not helping them. Um, so you've got, yeah, Jinten, the protagonist, who, you know, has sort of hardened himself to the point that he's just shut himself up in his room. You have his next-door neighbor, mm-hmm. um, Anaru, who um, kind of has fallen in with, like, not the greatest crowd, has sort of uh, created a persona for herself that's just not her she's created a basically an intentionally superficial life that's easier to live in that's yeah no that's easier to live in than the one that she probably should be living in yeah you've got uh the former you you were calling him like this sort of follower uh papo yeah papo is (laughs) wonderful tonally by the way like he's he's exactly what you need from a comic relief and yet Everything about him is just so immensely relatable that he never found, he never seems too outlandish in you know how he is treated. Well, when something is basically anywhere between like a weepy or a coming of age drama and the whole space between it, mm-hmm. a great shell game that you want to—it's not the only thing you can do, obviously—but a great shell game you can try to play with your comic relief characters is. Basically nine episodes, basically uh, six episodes of man, isn't this guy wacky? And four episodes of because his mom died. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and he, what his uh, his whole deal is that uh, he dropped out of school, uh, started working part time jobs, and has been traveling as much as he can uh, with the money that he makes from them uh, these last uh, five years or so. When I first um, watched this show, the reveal of why, specifically why he's been doing this, reduced me to a sobbing mess. Uh, that was, like, the first of, like, the one, two, three, at the, like, the last ten wow. episodes of the last, uh, the last, not at ten episodes, the last ten minutes or so of the final episode. I think you could make an entire MBTI personality chart <laughs> for people who, like, engage with the story straightforwardly, aren't trying to score fucking Twitter points, whatever. Mm-hmm. And just... What moment was either was closest to fucking you up or fucked you up the most or just saddest to you in Anohana? I think that's that at least that's at least in my head. I think it, it might just reflect either a what's kicking around in your own brain or just how you process things or. Okay, I think the first moment that I cried in this show was the scene and 
the I guess a little back of house at the video store where Nanaru admits her guilt to Jintan. Uh, right, uh, why she's felt guilty this entire time, and he just is not in a state where he's ready to hear it, and just does not register that she has told him this, and then, like just goes back I out and greets a customer. Really, like basically in any dramatic face-off that is not with Yukiatsu, because because that one's sort of a different emotional energy. His disconnect and disassociate thing is so consistent. I don't, it lends something to the character for me. I like it. I guess another brief sidebar here. For me, and it's a small scene, this, 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 and I guess it's because maybe when things are intentionally hitting a dramatic peak, I always have my cool guy arms crossed, but there was just this quiet scene where the dad was talking to his dead wife photo in a sort of upbeat way, like giving her his little updates on what's going on for the day. I can just hear... That little that jazz remix of Com Susser Todd that was going around <laughs> the internet for a while back there. That was a good scene. So yeah, Papo's thing is great. Yeah. Papo's thing is great. Yukiatsu. Yukiatsu is kind of my favorite character in this. I think just because I'm a writer and they took a wide swing and didn't hit themselves in the face with it. Mm-hmm. Which is Yukiatsu essentially comes in framed as someone who is intentionally judgmental of everyone. He has something to say about everyone and low X and it's behold. Always, it's always a condemnation. It's always a condemnation. And low X behold, it's because his insides are twisted up in every direction. Literally every insult he has for another human being in this show <laughs> applies to himself. Applies to himself. Um, Though I think the one mistake that the show made was when they actually explicitly tell you that, uh, and I, I, I yeah, think yeah, that that line could have totally be, have been cut without that line could have been cut, could have been cut. I, I think that that line probably shouldn't have been there. This show is usually so damn subtle; it usually refuses to outright tell you anything. It does such a fantastic way of showing it through the way that the characters talk to one another occasional little flashes of a uh, flashback like really really emphasis on the flash part of flashback here just when the show kind of chooses to um i don't know to have you know that that dramatic pause or um like when someone is talking about something and then can't not really bring themselves to continue talking about it and you wonder why and you know the answer is you know like uh is is in that pause right, right. um they, they do that a lot and i found it to be pretty effective um and then there's just this this one line where you know one of the characters like oh yeah anything you know all these things that he's saying he's actually saying about himself and it was the one time that i felt like the script kind of slipped up just a little bit it was a little bit of a slip of my like that line came out for a second i thought are you watching goku fight and <laughs> So yeah, they could have done without that, but a few things are literally perfect in this world. Except certain episodes of Brotherhood. That was a gag, I'm just a fanboy. <laughs> and this thing's final episode. Like, honest the... to fucking God. There's Suruko. There's Suruko, whose name I briefly forgot, and she really shrinks into the background of every situation habitually. Yeah, I mean, that is sort of kind of her way. Yeah. Uh, she's just sort of quiet and resentful and has managed to convince herself that you could think your way out of grief. Um, like, you could you could, you could, could beat it. You could beat it by, like, saying, you don't make sense. You know, mm-hmm. I make sense. And I can, you know, like, you're irrational. I, I, I can, you know, I can be smarter than you. Yeah, she um, might have an entry in a notebook somewhere saying... Sadness is actually several chemicals leaking from the back of the mind into the forefront. Shit like that, Which you yeah. can reduce with conscious thought and several meditative procedures. She is the character who maintains the most steadfast of facades. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is, you know, still very, um... Even after a number of characters have grown resentful of one another, right? She is, you know unfailingly polite and civil 
to everyone, right? She is being the person who has moved on from this. She is acting like the person who has moved on from all of this. Um, the most out of any of them. She is. She reminds me of a conversation I had once when it was suggested to me that I ought to be trying out therapy. And I said, oh yeah, no, no, I already went through therapy. Went through the whole loop. And they said, you, you don't... now. You, you don't beat therapy. This isn't... This is a fucking gauntlet. To which I said, I had nine potions. I rocked it. Look at my therapy score. Check that shit out. I've still got eight potions left. I only needed one. So I get Suruko's bit in the show. Suruko was the one who I had to figure out the most, honestly. I, um... I think interpreting her is somewhat stymied by, uh... She has to live in the unfortunate role of being a quiet character on a quiet show. Yeah, I think if anyone gets the least amount of emphasis in this show, it is her. One uh, might call her a wiki character, someone you might understand <laughs> more upon your fucking AV club rereads of the program than while actually watching. Oh, oh it's almost by design that she feels so adjunct. Um, Fair enough. I think one of this show's strongest... Um, one of the strongest aspects of this show, um, in so far as its attitude, is that it really, really refuses to condemn any character, any one character. Um, it does not seek to judge them at all, and you know who they are and what they're going through and their how they are dealing with this, even as they are occasionally kind of awful to one another. It does do what a lot of good interpersonal dramas do, which is realize it doesn't need... It doesn't really need a hard moral opposition to, to lob tomatoes at. Mm -hmm. The problem is the situation. The problem is the emotional sneaker tread that everyone is wearing on a different part of their soul. Yeah. And it does a good job of giving... Everyone that it focuses on their strong their strong points and their emotional lows. You know, we never talked about Minma. We never did. We never really did talk about. We Minma. We didn't talk about Minma. She is the um, she is the ghost. She is the one who died five years ago, and still um. Minma, her whole bit is. Well, as far as I took it, I could be missing something very basic here and mm -hmm. smack me in the forehead or whatever. But because she died, she is essentially mentally frozen at that age, at that, at age. that moment. Doesn't actually attitude. seem to have much grief to speak of, really. Only really seems to have the grief of... Knowing that she's not going to a be A life here. uncompleted. Yeah. Everything that she can't experience. And really just coping with... The amount of... Grievous and as one might feel just watching the ones you love, you know, suffer in the aftermath of something that. Being that is kind of an interesting one because it's like it's not your fault, but it feels like it's your fault. It's. At times, yeah, yeah, she um. I can't really relate. I haven't died too many times, but it. it, uh, it... I did once, but only for a couple of minutes. <laughs> her frustration, um, with her powerlessness the mm. powerlessness of death that's an interesting idea um because it's kind of taken for granted that uh, you have no more agents well here's the thing she is very powerful um in her memory uh and yeah. the memory of her that exists in all of these people uh but she does not have any agency because uh the the way that this show works is that um only jintan uh can see her uh, she appeared to yeah. him and only to him. Uh, and is... And because he is so fucking emotionally unavailable, she doesn't, like... <laughs> she ends up sort of having to fight to get him to, um... A, to acknowledge the situation. To acknowledge the situation. Uh, even though, like, you know, she does not have that clear picture of what uh, what needs to be done herself. Yeah. And then to try to get him to move on as she sort of comes to... I, her character arc is realizing why she's here. And realizing, like, what she wants out of all of this. 
like, w you know, what she was sent here to do. As they dearly departed, she receives a little less of the, um, I don't know what the technical term would be, but, like, core flaw treatment than some of the others. But she is given, basically, the idea that her eye is never really on herself to the degree that it causes additional problems. Yes. Um, she's kind of, um... Martyr complex. She, yeah, she, martyr complex, she's... She's... Yeah, I guess selfless to a fault. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I, I would just end up repeating what you were talking about. She ends up being this interesting little vertex. Uh, she both was and is. Was when she was alive and is even more now that she is dead. This fascinating vertex in their friend group. Um, around which all sorts of fucking drama was happening. Um, because, you know, kids have crushes on one another. Kids have crushes on one another. You can get a whole drama diagram. And if any vertex of that diagram bites it, it's going to leave a mark. Something I really enjoyed in this show. Mm -hmm. Sort of a different point, but I was gonna, I just wanted to run across it. Because I've seen my uh, share of... Uh, one person bit it style of little dramas in my time and this thing does a way way better job of tonal variety than a lot of things in i guess it's it's genre or emotional wavelength or let's just say media with its goals yeah do like it's and i think that serves it well because having these moments that are lighter or more human focused or at least just some Variety. I don't know. When you make a thing about loss, I think you do benefit from, without diving all the way into the flashback hole, giving us an idea of what light in life you do lose yeah. when this person is gone. And you some a part of that is that you might have to have some scenes that aren't fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah, it, the, the show never becomes self-serious. Yeah. Which... Or I guess, what's the word for Maudlin? Maudlin, um melodramatic wank fest in the contemporary fest, parlance uh, no um it never it, it never gets to such a point where it's just um like i don't know you ever seen the crow <laughs> read the crow never actually saw the crow only read it i like the comic book a little bit better i think a lot of people think that the movie was better than the uh than the comic book i don't know i'll, I'll have to revisit that i think the movie ended up being like a little bit too they made it like a hollywood story I think that whenever you make something about revenge and then it hits Hollywood, any subtler thoughts you might have had will go to the wayside. Like, total tangent to Anohana, but just while we're here, mm -hmm. you can read... The best breakdown of this was... Uh, shit, okay, so it's a degree. It's two degrees off because I was reading a funny 1900 hot dog article about it. That's Sean Baby and crew. And then that, art, that links to a serious article about this. So this is my original thought, but basically the Death Wish films are adapted from the Death Wish novel, and that novel does not have a positive view of hardcore vigilante justice <laughs> at all. The, the novel triple underlines that this guy is a psychopath with intense overtones of, like, race warrior-ness, and the whole book ends with him basically getting himself gunned down, going after random kids... And there is none of that in the... Is it three, four Death Wish movies there they made? There was a lot of them, and then they made one with Bruce Willis, and it fucking blew. And my point here is that whatever your nuanced or lack thereof thoughts are on revenge in your media property, mm -hmm. as soon as it hits a California camera, it's going to be about how sweet and awesome road-hauling people is. <laughs> I remember the um the original author of the crow actually turned against this uh, against it um because he thought that it glorified revenge. I believe he was writing it um as a way of processing um his grief um uh, uh, as I believe either his wife, fiance, girlfriend, I think his significant other um died, and I I might be misremembering it. I might actually be remembering a different property, but I'm pretty sure um, that it was the crow. That um, I've actually read the interview you're talking about. Yeah, that, that happened. Yeah, that is. Um, so, so he he wrote it as a way of uh, processing his grief. Uh, he wrote a kind of revenge story because 
can make you really fucking angry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as I have learned, and um, and then that anger can be really visceral. Like I became very self paranoid when I was doing my own shit because I could feel. It almost becomes like that anger is looking for a home, mm-hmm. and it's something that can easily be wrapped up in any ongoing, like, meta or national or local or local realm. Like, it, just, it can just distort how you interact with external information, and I felt I had to become very careful. Or, I mean, maybe not as careful as some people, because unfortunately... I can sort of just become a neutral Ray-style robot for a bit when 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 coping with such things. But yeah, the anger of Grease Cart Wheel. And sp- speaking of how close this show's thumb is on in terms of like pro- death, processing death, mm-hmm. um, attentive readers might be interested to know that there is a production connection between this show and Iron-Blooded Orphans. Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans. Uh, same writer-director duo. Um, worked on both shows. Wild stuff. Um, and <laughs> they it's interesting uh, in that they are amazingly, wildly different shows. Wildly different shows. Like, if this is, like, fucking Magnolia, Iron-Blooded Orphans is a better version of Scarface. Yeah. But the, um... What's interesting is that you they are amazingly different from one another and yet you can still trace one or two of the same themes um for instance just kids are given a thing that they cannot even fucking hope to process and then they don't process it right they don't process it people that are essential essentially the aftermath of an incident are in iron-blooded orphans a lot yeah which is very interesting down to our char our local char analog who is essentially the aftermath of his wackadoo childhood and that thing. God, it was so fucking sad how that all unfolded. Oh, also, in that neither of the series, in how the events unfold, end up being necessarily too surprising. Um, everything kind of... There are one or two little twists and turns in each one. Um, in Anohana, I mean, Anohana, which I have... Um, you know, viewed most recently, of course, you know, you get the occasional little twist, little turn, little bit of, you know, information reveal. Um, but mostly it's sort of uh, about watching these characters having to move forward. Yeah, they are not programs that are really dedicated to pulling the rug out from under you. Even Iron-Blooded Orphans, double spoiler town, three, two, one, when it has its total party wipe. Yeah. It feels more like the natural slow winding of consequences for like 12 episodes. Exactly. Like any oh, kind of like last army stand twist. Yeah, they 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 do this thing in Iron-Blooded Orphans where they keep kind of alluding to this miracle that could happen uh, yeah. and then it doesn't. Yeah, there aren't really twist deaths in Iron-Blooded Orphans as much as there are just disappointments in binary binary scenarios i guess yeah and it's set up in a way where it's the logical thing that could happen you understand why it happened and i guess what i sort of appreciated about that show is that it kind of reminded me of our relationship with heroic myths and how it tends to create both not just a certain narrative like not even as a media thing just even in the way we process reality and how we think of how our struggle is going to work out this assumption that we are faster, better, born of righteousness on our side, mm-hmm. and that eventually will bend themselves towards that, and that's not the way We're, the universe works. Nope, not not even in the fucking slightest. Not in the fucking slightest. Even if you are Genghis Khan's fourth kid, and you just assume that the hit train is going to keep on coming. Like, no, no, your your liver is failing and your empire is falling apart. <laughs> also, there's nothing righteous about the cons. I was just I was just, I was just trying to think of someone who would have envisioned who themselves would have thought of themselves as yeah. like, oh yeah, screw to God. Yeah. That's uh, that's me. Yeah. Oh wait, no, that was the Huns. Well, you, whatever the case. Yeah, you get the idea. So I appreciate that about Iron Blood Orphans. But going back to Anohana Land, it's also a place where 
again, nothing is really crazy about the things people have done or their reactions to it. The closest it gets to like a traditional dramatic hyper twist is um, when Yukiatsu had been um, doing some like background cross-dressing stuff in his own time. Mm -hmm. But, But as a revelation, it's not something that like unmoors what could happen going forward or what goes on ahead. It just shows what he's been dealing with in his own time. Yeah. And how it sort of, again, reflected his per- particular personality. Something I should have explained in terms of my appreciation for that character, by the way, is beyond the criticism stuff, is that uh, he has constructed himself into a hyper-straight arrow to the point where he looks like, almost like rom-com protagonist Model C. Yes, he looks like the most generic fucking anime protagonist of all time because that's sort of how... It's not even how he envisions himself because he knows he's not that. But he has... It's it's what he aspires to be. It's what he wishes he were. He has really made this construct after presumably some intense Kaguya viewings. <laughs> and you can see there's something being uh, just sort of pushed down there. Or more pushed out pushed. onto other people. Okay, yeah, it's an exported product. I should say, amidst this show's achievements, given its overall tone topic genre, is that often when I'm presented this kind of material, one of my first reactions as a petulant child would look and say, how can I fuck with this when we talk about it? <laughs> and I did not do so much of that. Not none of that because I'm broken inside, <laughs> but I did not do so much of that. And I think it's sort of important to... Not only gauge how I react to something, but how you typically react to things and what it might say relative to the base. And I think that speaks to it as a strong work in its Milo. Mm-hmm. I totally did not pronounce that word correctly, by the way. Milieu. Milieu. That being said, I would like to drop in at least one of my three dumb jokes. All right. Go for it. First off, uh, in my eternal ripping off Dave Chappelle bit, <laughs> I would like to um, introduce a spinoff or a remake of Anohana that I call Jamaican Anohana. (laughs) In Jamaican Anohana, this tragedy happens, and then no one ever talks about it again. (laughs) And all these characters sit in the same room talking to each other, putting on normal faces. And then it ends. It just fucking ends. The credits just roll down. (laughs) What a time. What's the last thing? That sounds like Irish Anohana, too. Oh, yeah, maybe? Man, don't get invaded by England. I don't know. They just, they just export that shit. <laughs> they just make you not want to feel things. <laughs> They're so awful. They're so awful that not feeling anything is better. <laughs> oh, great. You know, normally on Weebo Hell, there's a, a little segment where Sam and Go talks about the character designs. Do you want to throw anything in on that topic? I mean, they're fantastic. Honestly, it's they're they're so good that you don't even notice how good they are uh, because you're 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 really just more focused on the character drama, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but I sort of like the um. All right, so we'll, we'll, we'll kind of start from the top here. Gen Ten, right? As mm-hmm. this kind of shonen protagonist who's stopped giving a shit about how he looks, <laughs> so like he hasn't had a haircut in for fucking ever. Yeah, he has just uh, like wear like whatever fucking t-shirt that day. Uh it's it's implied that he does not shower every day of the week. Although apparently not everyone does. I know I I, I feel real fucking greasy after uh more than like 18 hours awake or 18 hours without a shower. You can really tell how close to a temperate zone people live based on mm. <laughs> their answer to that and their relative cleanliness, but that aside, yeah, he does have this light grunginess to him that sort of underlines the disaffectitude. The disaffectitude, yeah. Um, you've got Menma, right? Who, of course, you know, being a ghost, is dressed all in white. Uh, and it's um almost winking at that because it's the same thing that she was wearing when she died. It has a thing that the first nanosecond I saw her, I was like, what are you doing? But she looks like a 16-year-old wearing a 12-year-old's outfit. Yeah. And, oh. And it's like, oh. <laughs> oh, man, I was gonna dunk. <laughs> I, um, 
fun little anecdote. I was showing this to um another friend uh last year. Uh and when um basically the the first, you know, scene plays out and you know, we were watching it and she was like, Okay, this is interesting. I'm wondering what this is about. And then like the first five seconds of the OP happened and she's like, Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> We're like they're all lined up, and then they age up, except one of them's gone now. Oh, also, this this show has one of the best OPs of all time. Just it's just it's fucking perfect. It's got a lot of fun small cues. It's fra- it's framed well. I always feel like I'm a little less equipped to talk about these OPs, but it has. If I were to be very specific, it opens with you know the child group shot, and then as Sam says, it cuts to one of them being gone, and none of them are making eye contact with each other nope. anymore. Um, they are looking in, well specifically they're all looking away from each other would be a better way to, way to put it um, so the character designs uh, Yukiatsu right we we were going into his character design he yeah. looks like generic anime guy because that's who he wishes he was um, Papo is so much less free than he thinks he is mm-hmm. uh, so again he dresses a little bit more like how he aspires to be he dresses down all the time he's always wearing Hawaiian shirts because yeah. you know like he's gotta be on vacation he's yeah. gotta be on vacation to, so he can be seeing anything other than what's in his head at every hour of the day Papo makes both the only literal physical effort to run away from his problems and is also, Spoiler Town 3000, put himself to live at the site of the accident, in which, which is just an action that just leads to a therapist just chucking their notes out the window, <laughs> saying, you threw it all away! <laughs> all this work, all this work, and you threw it away! Because, as it turns out, Papo witnessed Menma's death, and... Um, the image has been so seared into his brain that he literally everything he has been doing up to now has been trying to get it to go away for ten fucking seconds, but it won't. Yeah. Really just ask the question, what is the event that forces you to start trying to act like the Fonz? Yeah. Um, God, it's such a fucking perfect moment when, like, we get that reveal. To, to borrow a Moxleyism, it's, it's, it's such good shit. It's <laughs> such good shit. <laughs> Uh, Anaru, as, as we mentioned earlier, right, she's sort of, um, she's fallen in with this kind of very preppy crowd, right? And she will never, she never actually seems to be wearing the same outfit twice, uh, which is fun in this, in this little show. She's got this giant fucking wardrobe and it always kind of, um, feels like a costume because it sort of is for her. She really wants to affect the air like, of being the protagonist of Genki and Aru Adventures mid-air jump. And that's that's not that's not the life that she Yeah, not not that I'm handed. trying to be talking shit about Visco girls right now or anything like that, but like Anaru is just she's not that person. It's just By the way, um if you are a uh, adult human being who has dedicated significant amounts of time to making fun of Visco girls, it is not normal to be thinking about or making fun of 14-year-old girls. That's all I'm going to say. Especially because I'm almost certain that you are not 14 yourself. You're, in fact, significantly older than that. Grow up. Shaw Raven bags are fine. Here's a good rule of thumb. Are they carjacking you? No? Leave it alone. Leave it alone. (laughs) Also, on... 14-year-old girl, if they're carjacking you, you if it's not a firearm of a situation, you might put some resistance into that situation. <laughs> Lay some CQC in, is you all I'm saying. You might be able to stop them. Uh... <laughs> I'm not trying to carjack shame anyone. <laughs> Suruko. Her character design. Um, again, Don't look at me, I'm fine. I'm very restrained, like she is. She's fine. She's over this. She's dealt with this. Look, she's an adult now. She's basically an adult now. It's like, I'm basically an adult now. I'm dressed like your mom. Don't worry about it. It's like, and, oh, oh, man, you've been having such a hard time dealing with this. Uh, you're so mature. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Like, I am mature enough not to be immature about how immature you're being right now. But, basically. But anytime you want to stop, you know, anytime you want to stop, stop. <laughs> stop it! <laughs> I'm making her sound bitchier than she actually is. 
it's funny to play it up because the show dials it down. The show does dial it down quite that, a bit. That is basically one of the autopilots for humor is to just make a quiet thing loud. It's weird that this show gets um take that freebie, kids. It, it's it's weird that um any like of the few detractors that this show have um accuse it of being melodramatic because it's it's super fucking not. It's like all these tiny little moments that um. I mean, you know what the black internet ritual is. You draw the pentagram on your hand, stand atop the mountain, raise it to the sky, and yell, good things are bad, bad things are good. <laughs> and a bolt of black retweets goes into your arm. And it creates the Snyder Cut. And it creates the fucking Snyder Cut. I don't know if we've done an episode since the Snyder Cut. I think we did one. I just know there was that one Paul Feige fucking tweeting... You know, there's four hours of Ghostbusters I'd like to share with the world. <laughs> no one even wanted to see the first hour and a half. And I'm just wondering what has been unleashed. God damn it. I can tell you that editorial restraint is about to take one to the kidneys, but... I like stories where characters change over the course of the story and That's are not nice. just worshipped. Wait, no, we, no. If we start pitching about the Snyder Cut, we're not going to stop. God, that might just be an addendum. Okay. It's 7% better than the Whedon Cut. The Snyder Cut feels less like being punched in the balls and more like being punched in the stomach. Congratulations. <laughs> anyway, did we cover the full range of character design? Uh, oh, I like his dad's character design a lot. Oh, yeah. Jin Jin's dad. He went bald. He went bald. He went bald. Oh. He got a hat. He got a hat. It is not an aging or hormonal baldness. He is sad. <laughs> it's great because you can tell that he's not quite over the loss of his wife. Oh, yeah, he is sad not because, uh, you know, his his um, his son's friend died, but because his wife died. Um, the um, the main character also lost his mother. Uh, that it seems like a year or so before uh, before Minma died. She um, his his mother passed away from what is what can be assumed to be cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that, you know, just her plus Menma, bridge too far for the guy. Not, a uh, not great, not great. Um, he and his mother and Memna were also with it, consciously, I should say, because it's the kind of thing one might fuck up. They are sort of within a personality standard deviation for each other, mm-hmm. which can just take, hey, everyone. Today we're making trauma gumbo. <laughs> and let me tell you, these mushrooms are my secret weapon. <laughs> I might be out of particularly salient points about uh, Anohana, but I, like I do that. want to underline that if ooh, you ooh, haven't eighth seen... 8th grade English, 8th grade English, 8th grade English. I love this thing's use of symbols. All right, everyone, we're going to go into the shiny things about Anohana and what they mean. So literally just two of them. Three. There's three or so uh, recurring symbols. Right, um, and they all relate to one another. Uh, so you've got flowers, the secret base, and fireworks. Um, flowers representing endings, um, fireworks representing new beginnings, and uh, the secret base representing where we're stuck right now. And boy, does Papa live in the secret base! Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Flowers, you know, in that they are beautiful and also die very quickly. Mm. Um, I've also seen fireworks used as a symbol for aspiration uh, in other stuff, uh, specifically Kaguya-sama. Um, oh, maybe that's just a more embedded cultural thing than we know. It could be. Uh, a lot of the time, I, apparently in uh, a lot of Japanese media, um, an airplane is used as well, uh, specifically for um, shit that is futile. Um because, you know, it's an airplane flies by and it is a dream that is very much out of reach, right? Oh, okay, yeah. okay. Only seems to exist in Japanese media. Never seen it used here. That's interesting. Um, except in, um, except in uh, Kato Shoho. Technically uh, counts as here. You know, amidst the ever-complicated diagram of cultural diffusion. Mm. Anyway, this might surprise you. But attentive readers might notice that I recommend Anohana. Uh, it is just a wonderful show. It is a um, 
it's no uh no substitute for therapy if you are experiencing um you know grief uh you know everyone can really stand to talk to someone about that about anything really um yeah uh you should talk to someone it's a good idea listener uh just because honest to god if you have lived through the last year uh then you probably have something to talk about Anyway, this has been Weeboo Hell. It's it is Weeboo Hell. Hell. Enjoy yourselves.